0: in Numbers chapter 27, verses 1 through 11. I'll be reading from the New Standard Version. Let us listen for the word of God. Then the daughters of Zelophehad came forward. Zelophehad was son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, son of Joseph, a member of the Manassite clans. The names of his daughters were Mala, Noah, Hagla, Mikla, and Tirzah. They stood before, they stood before Moses, Eleazar, the priest, the leaders, and all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of the meeting, and they said, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord, in the company of Korah, but died for his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no son? Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. Moses brought the case before the Lord, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophead are right in what they are saying. You shall indeed let them possess an inheritance among their father's brothers and pass the inheritance of their father onto them. You shall also say to the Israelites, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall pass his inheritance onto his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give the inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the nearest kinsman of the clan, and he shall possess it. It shall be the Israelites a statute and ordinance, as the Lord commanded Moses. This ends our first reading.
1: Our second reading for this day comes to us from later in the book of Numbers, chapter 36, verses 1 through 12. Let us listen for God's word speaking to us this day from a book that we don't typically spend a lot of time in. The heads of the ancestral houses of the clans of the descendants of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, of the Josephite clans, came forward and spoke in the presence of Moses and the leaders, the heads of the ancestral houses of the Israelites. They said, The Lord commanded my Lord, Moses, to give the land for inheritance by lots to the Israelites. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of our brothers, the Laphahad, to his daughters. But if they are married into another Israelite tribe, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our ancestors and added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So it will be taken away from the allocated portion of our inheritance. And when the jubilee of the Israelites comes, then their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they have married. And their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our ancestral tribe. Then Moses commanded the Israelites according to the word of the Lord, saying, The descendants of the tribe of Joseph are right in what they are saying. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad. Let them marry whom they think best. Only it must be into a clan of their father's tribe that they are married. So that no inheritance of the Israelites shall be transferred from one tribe to another. For all Israelites shall retain the inheritance of their ancestral tribes. Every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the Israelites shall marry one from the clan of her father's tribe so that all Israelites may continue to possess their ancestral inheritance. No inheritance shall be transferred from one tribe to another for each of the tribes of the Israelites shall retain its own inheritance. I mean, just really underlining the fact that... Property is not moving among the families. It's got to stay. I feel like I just read the same thing five times. The daughters of Zelophehad did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Malah, Tirzah, Haglah, Milcah, and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, married sons of their father's brothers. They were married into the clans of the descendants of Manasseh, son of Joseph, And their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's clan. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the daughters of Zelophehad, who has ever heard of them? Really? No takers? Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it's a story, right? I mean, it's there, it's in numbers, and it never really popped in my imagination either. But I think it has a lot to say to the church today, to us today, especially today as we prepare to ordain and install new leaders in the life of this congregation. Leaders who not only are meant to be spiritual guides for all of us as we make our journeys, but... Witnesses to God's love and grace at work in the world through the larger councils of our church to help us stay connected, reminding us that we are not alone here at Rocky River, but connected to other tribes, if you will, of Presbyterians throughout Northeast Ohio, throughout our synod of wherever we are in a synod, and throughout the whole General Assembly of the United States. And yes, even throughout the world. But a lot of things come up when we talk about leadership, right? A lot of ins and outs and do's and don'ts. I'm currently reading uh, The Magician's Daughter with my youngest. It is a story about a young woman of mysterious origins named Biddy who was raised on a magical island. Her parent figure... Rowan, is a magician who fled the authority of the magician's council. See, even in books, magicians have councils. He believed, Rowan believed, that the magician's council was abusing its authority to control the magic of the world. And instead of using their gifts to make others' lives better, the magician's council was hoarding the magic for themselves to enrich themselves. At one point in the story, we see Rowan in an argument with Morgan, his fiance, at the time. He was trying to convince Morgan to leave the council to flee and fight against the structures from outside, to be a rebel, insurgent, to create change however they could. But Morgan wasn't ready to leave. She was comfortable with her place on the council, with the power that it gave her, even when that power required things of her that were unconscionable to Rowan. How do we make change in systems and structures? If you didn't feel it, that is part of the story that is behind this story from Numbers today. And it's a pattern of life and leadership and experience that continues to repeat itself throughout many many generations, not only in the church but in the world. How do we affect change in our lives? Do you stay in it to win it, fight from within, Or do you fight from the outside? What you haven't seen is that earlier in the book of Numbers, chapter 16, if you are really curious and want to look, and actually it's one of the stories that you read and you think, huh, that's in the Bible? Okay. So earlier in the book of Numbers, chapter 16, we are told about the revolt of Korah. You heard that name in the passage that Chuck read earlier. Korah was a leader among the Levites who led a faction to break away from the Hebrew people and to argue that Moses should not be the only conduit of God's divine revelation. That God should speak to and through all people. Let's democratize this. God is with and for everybody. Well, Moses was not happy. Moses was not happy because Korah had pulled away a large faction of people. And you know what? God wasn't happy either. God was very upset that people continued to revolt and rebel against God's plans for the people. Earlier, let's not forget, these are folks who are wandering in the wilderness. God originally had a plan for them to leave Egypt, go through the Red Sea, go straight to the Promised Land. And what did the people do? They complained. They gnashed their teeth. God gave manna. They were full. They had what they needed, and yet they still complained. So God said, no, y'all are gonna wander for a little bit. Y'all are gonna just wander around, get real good and dusty. We're gonna let the older generation die and start anew. And then we'll get to the promised land. Y'all, these folks are still wandering. And here Korah is, again, not trusting in God's providence and grace, saying that, no, you should talk to me too. God is not happy. God was so angry that the Lord wanted to wipe out all of the followers of Korah. All of them. But Moses and Aaron begged for mercy. So instead, in a moderation of God's anger, in front of Korah's gathered followers, God caused the earth to open up and swallow Korah and a few of his closest allies. It's there, chapter 16. I am not not fibbing up here. People fled in terror, but those who didn't make it, flames shot out and burned them. And all of the possessions that they had with them. And from the burned remains, God demanded that hammered plates be created as reminders to all Israelites of what happens when you question God's judgment and guidance. It's in there, chapter 16. I tell that part of the story because I actually think it needs to be told. Here's Korah, who's saying, no, 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 I'm fighting from outside. And the world literally opened up and swallowed him. So, we come to today, to Zalophehad, which is a very fun name to say, by the way. This is the backstory, the memory that is floating in everyone's heads about what happens when you question the way things are, and the way we're supposed to be living together in the world. Five sisters come together before Moses to ask him to consider their situation. Now, as you all probably know, it is very uncommon for biblical texts to name women, right? There's just not that many of them, even though we know that, for every man that is named, there's probably five women who are there to make sure that he has his shoes tied or sandals on. or. But they're usually not named. So in this story, the daughters of Zelotha had a story that none of us really knew, five named women. Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Terza. Okay, Hagla, not the best name, but... Still, five named women. And they're coming with their problem to Moses. Their father, Zelophehad, has died in the journey to the promised land. That was God's plan for the older generation to die as they made their way to the promised land so that new memories, new dependence on the grace of God could be Forged. By this point in their journey, God, through Moses, had given each tribe and then within each tribe, each family within the tribe, land in the promised land. People knew where they were going to be in the promised land. It was already the idea of it, already in the ownership of this oldest generation. So as they begin to die... The inheritance rules that are written into God's plan and God's law are in play. And as you can guess, the land of the fathers would pass to who? Their sons. Always to the sons. And to which of the sons? The oldest sons. Well, as it turns out, Zelophehad didn't have any sons. He was blessed to be a girl dad. He had five wonderful, headstrong daughters. So what would happen to his land? What would happen to his daughters? Remember, to be unmarried and to be without your father's protection was a very precarious place for women. So seeing the injustice of this situation I imagine the daughters of Zelophehad gather in their tent to vent and figure out what they're going to do. What are we going to do? By the way, this next little part, not in the text. It's just in my head. What are we going to do? This isn't our fault. It's not our fault. Papa didn't produce any sons. Now we are going to lose our land, the land promised to our family, before we even get there? I am sure that there was at least one really bold sister who was not going to tolerate this foolishness. No, we are going to Moses. We are going to plead our case. Pour some more wine, please. Surely there is something that we can do. I imagine the other sisters are like, is she crazy? What? No more. Cut that off. No. Do you want to end up like Cora, swallowed by the earth? But they keep talking. And I imagine that more sisters begin to get on board. No. But why should Papa's brothers get what should be ours? We have to try. Are you sure? Remember Korah? Earth, swallowing. We aren't trying to challenge Moses' authority. We are only asking him to consider a situation. To consider a situation that the Lord might not have considered. The Lord is a good God. Surely the Lord will hear our plea and make the world right. To be fair, that is how I imagine the conversation evolved. Gathered women, building the courage through sisterhood, friendship, and plain and simple logic to go and plead their case. But can you imagine how that felt? To be powerless in society. To have the promises of extended family members surrounding you saying, oh, don't worry, we'll take care of you. But to feel alone and on your own traveling to a promised land that you were guaranteed to have a place in. And then to have all of that ripped away. To want to say something But that image of the world swallowing up others who had complained would probably deter you, give you reason to pause. But the Lord is a good God. They trusted. They were doing the thing that God wanted them to do. Placing their trust in the one who has provided for them all the days of their life as they wandered in the desert, eating the manna, drinking water from a rock, trusting in the way forward. Surely, the Lord is a good God and will make the world right. Finally, all five sisters are on board with an audacious idea. Maybe God did not think of every situation. The all-powerful, all-knowing God, these five sisters, unmarried, no children, have the idea that maybe God didn't think of this specific situation. Wasn't specific enough in handing down the law to Moses for it to be immortalized that guided the rules of everyone's life, including the inheritance laws. So they approached Moses in front of the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting was the place where God would meet and talk with Moses. So for them, the holiest place that there could be. They gathered themselves up before the tent of meeting to plead their case. Our papa has died. He wasn't one of the guys challenging your authority. He wasn't with Korah. He wasn't swallowed by the earth. Please don't let that happen to me. He wasn't smart though. We know that. He sinned in his own way. It's right there in the text. They admit it. They don't deny that Zalapahad might not have had the best head on his shoulders. But he didn't have any sons. Does that mean that his name and inheritance should pass from his people? Give us land with our uncles. Don't give our land to our uncles. These women must have made a pretty strong case. The Lord says, oh yeah, the daughters of Zelophehad are right in what they are saying. The Lord then goes on to not only make it right for the daughters of Zalafahad but to change the Torah for all people for all ways so that future situations would be more just just a little for women in the promised people to be honest it was a small change this doesn't guarantee that women and girls will always inherit, along with their male, male counterparts and family members, but it made a small change, a small, important change that provided more protection for women that didn't exist before. Later in numbers, as you heard it is clear that the experience with Salafahad's daughters has not left the community's consciousness. It has played with the ideas and values of the inheritance laws. So the elders are wrestling with women's worth versus land. They want to ensure that women in this particular situation are cared for, but they want to make sure we don't lose the land. Because in Jubilee years, every 50 years, land ownership reverts back to the clans with whom it, to whom it was given. So had's daughters, the land would have passed to their sons, and if they married into other tribes, that land would have left the ancestral intention. That's what that whole second passage is about. It doesn't feel real good. It doesn't. Right? Balancing this, the needs of women, against the needs to protect land. The Lord tries to find a way, and it sounds a little creepy because it's saying that they have to marry their cousins, right? Like none of us, kind of makes us shiver. Cultural customs at the time probably would have been okay with that. The daughters of Zalafahad probably would have been looking to marry their cousins anyway. I know it sounds weird, but it was a thing. So it doesn't limit them as much as we might think it does as we read it with our 2023 values around bloodlines and DNA. But it still doesn't feel Great for men to be pitting the value and rights of women against property. But sometimes we can't get to the big change without making the small changes along the way. To prove that good and just living pays off for everyone. Incrementally. There's a lot of big and important problems in the world. Huge. Too many to name. And we want to jump to the best answer. To the ones that are going to make it all right. And 100% just for everybody. It's hard to get those to happen, isn't it? And folks retreat into camps pitted against one another, hating each other instead of trying to find a way forward. I didn't know the story of Zalothahad's daughters. I've read the Bible through to through, cover to cover, quite a few times, not bragging. But as I read this story, it never jumped off the page for me, until about six years ago when I was part of a leadership team for a Montreal Youth Conference, and this story came to life in front of a thousand young people, a thousand young people who want more than anything Generation Z to demand justice, who are living in a world of gun violence who are living in a world of injustice and they experience it in their souls and to see this passage come to life in front of their eyes and help them to see that compromise is necessary and that the perfect can't be the enemy of the good. That we have to come together, pray together, To find ways forward. To make the dial of justice turn in the world that brings us all along. It's a hard, hard passage when you think about it. But on a day like today, I think it invites us as a church and a people to consider who our leaders are and the work that they have before them. And as we think about that, it's important to remember that women's voices changed the heart of God. Women's voices changed the heart of God. In the words that we say quite often in our brief statement of faith, The voices of people's long silence changed the heart of God because they were bold enough to raise them. So I ask us today, as we prepare to ordain and install elders and deacons, how are we raising our voices? Are we like Korah? going out and trying to change things from the outside only to be swallowed up by the earth and spit out? Or are we like Zelophehad's daughters? I ask us whose voices are being raised as we're making decisions in the life of the church? Whose voices matter? Whose voices are we listening to? Just our own? Just the voices of people who have the same life experience as we do? Are we seeking out voices of those who have been long silenced? Or who have been afraid to raise their voices? And how are those voices helping us to discern God's will and hopes? and dreams and desires for our community and our lives. Moses was not threatened by the daughters of Zelophehad. Moses was not threatened by voices of those who had been long silenced because they were not trying to deny his personhood but invite him into a conversation. And together, With God's guidance, it brought them to a new place. Was it a perfect place? No. Was it a new place that was better for the lived experience of women? Yes. The daughters of Zelophehad demonstrate that we, as a community, must be intentional about seeking out different voices. Voices that we might not hear all of the time. Voices whose experience are outside of our norm so that we can better understand the complexities of decisions, the complexities of issues, the complexities of stressors and systems and processes that are operating in the world that don't impact us the same way they impact others. I see those voices every day in my full-time job. Peoples whose lived experience are so radically different than my own. And my life is only better because I sit and listen. And through those conversations, I sense a way that God is trying to break into the world. In my last call, I did a lot of work with Greater Cleveland Congregations, a Nonprofit, faith-based community organizing organization here in Greater Cleveland, and it taught me another important lesson that I see in this text. Sometimes the actions that we can take right now are not going to move the dial to where we want it to be, all the way to perfect and just. But we can't let that paralyze our decisions and stop our work. We have to understand the problem. And we understand the problem by listening to voices not like our own. And then we have to take steps right now to make a change. We can't hold those voices in our hearts and say, oh, we'll get to that down the road when we can get it from here to there. We have to break the problem down and figure out how we're going to move together as God's beloved community in the right direction. These five daughters prove that we all, each and every one of us, in this sanctuary, in the world, have been gifted with experience and insights that can change the heart of God. Let us join together. As we empower our leaders this day to listen to the voices of those who have been long silenced. To listen to voices within ourselves that we have long silenced. So that God can empower us to be about the work of sharing love, creating justice so that all people may experience the grace of Jesus Christ in their lives. So friends, let us listen. Let us empower. Let us take the steps that we can take to move the moral arc of the universe in a more just direction. Amen? Amen.